I, uh, I want to start this morning by telling you a story that I heard. It was about a groom that was going to surprise his bride on their wedding day. And he called the baker that was baking the wedding cake and uh, said, I would like you to put a, a Bible verse on the cake. And the groom told the baker, I want you to put First uh, John chapter 4, verse 18 on my wedding cake. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There's no fear in love. love drive, or Perfect love drives out fear. Well, the baker didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't know the difference between the book of 1 John and the Gospel of John. So all he really heard was John 4, 18, so that's what he put on the cake. So when the bride and the groom got to the point of the ceremony where they're ready to cut the cake, on the cake is written, You are right in saying you have no husband. You have five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. You know, some details aren't that important. Some details, it doesn't really matter if you get them right or not. For instance, I'm not positive my tie matches my shirt today. But you know what? I don't care. It's close, and that's all that really matters. It might not, mat it might not match, but I don't really care. It's a detail I'm not worried about. Some details we need to worry about, because some details are really important. We began this year talking about Jesus, we've been talking about grace, and I have used some different Jesus encounters to make some thoughts about uh, uh, our relationships and relationship with Jesus. We've looked at an encounter with the, the Apostle John, we've looked a couple weeks ago at the life of Andrew, last week. We looked at a, a, an instance where Jesus had an encounter with Peter. And I want to do that again today and talk about a man who's on his way to becoming a disciple that has an encounter with Jesus. But before I get to this encounter, I want to ask you a really simple, pretty basic question. Maybe it's a question you don't think about very often, but it's worth asking. Here's the question. Why are you here today? What are, you, what are you doing in church today? Why do you believe what you believe? Could you verbalize that? Why do you trust in a God that you can't see? What keeps you coming back to faith, even in all the pain and the heartache and the doubts and, and all the ways that the world seems to be coming apart at the seams? Why do you still hope and trust in God? That's the question for this morning. What is, it that keeps coming, what is it that keeps you coming back to faith? What's the real reason that you have for believing? There's a scene in the New Testament where Jesus has a conversation with a man that we would best describe as a skeptic. His name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel is a skeptic. And I don't mean that to put Nathaniel down. He's just a guy who doesn't take everything right at face value. He's a guy who questions some things. He's not going to be swayed by every you know, bit of gossip that comes down the pike. He, he wants to know for sure. He doesn't get too excited about uh, you know, what other people are saying. Now, we know that Nathaniel's on his way to becoming a disciple of Jesus, but when we first meet Nathaniel, he's a skeptic. Jesus is going to give Nathaniel a reason to believe. But what he tells Nathaniel at the very beginning, what he shows Nathaniel, isn't going to be Nathaniel's best reason to believe. 
Jesus is going to tell this man, there's a deeper reason. There's a better reason for you to put your faith in me. Here's the passage of Scripture that we're going to focus on this morning. It's in the book of John, the Gospel of John, not 1 John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Verse 49, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In this text, we actually have two conversations that take place. First, there's a conversation between Philip and Nathaniel. And in that conversation, we see all of Nathaniel's reasons for not believing in Jesus. And then there's a conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. And in that conversation, we see all the reasons for Nathaniel believing in Jesus. Jesus is, uh, or Nathaniel accepts Jesus as the Messiah. Even though it's pretty obvious his reasoning, his understanding, his faith isn't quite cemented just yet. I mean, there's, there's gaps there. There's things that Nathaniel obviously doesn't quite understand. And Jesus understands this as well. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a better reason to believe. In fact, Jesus says, you'll see greater things than that. So if we hit the rewind button on this, on this uh, text just a little bit, we see Philip and Nathaniel... Philip has already seen Jesus. He's met Jesus. Philip is already fascinated with Jesus. Remember, I've said it before that those early disciples, they, they weren't chosen because of their theological depth, because they were so, you know, they understood everything that Jesus was doing. In fact, at the beginning, they didn't really understand much of anything other than the fact that Jesus was fascinating. So Jesus simply told Peter, follow me, or Philip. Follow me. Maybe there was more to it than that. Maybe there wasn't. But Philip followed Jesus immediately. No questions asked. Philip understood there's something powerful about this guy, Jesus. There's something a little bit mysterious, otherworldly. There's something fascinating about Jesus. And Philip follows Jesus. He's convinced this is the Son of God. And I'm sure at this point, Philip's understanding wasn't complete. Yet he's willing to follow Jesus. He's willing to leave everything that's familiar to him. To follow Jesus down a very unfamiliar path. And really anyone who's had a, a Jesus encounter is going to react pretty much like Philip does. He's looking for someone else to tell. He wants someone else to, to tell about what's going on in his life. 
about who he's just encountered. So he goes and finds Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found him. I've met him. It's the one. It's the Christ. It's the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, Nathaniel responds like any skeptic would. Philip, come on. Philip, you can't fall for everything you hear or see. Philip, there's a charlatan on, on every corner. And by the way, we Jews, we don't, go, we don't joke about the Messiah. Okay, when you start talking about the Christ, it's pretty serious business to us Jews. So, you know, take a deep breath here, Philip. Now, I want to give Nathaniel the benefit of the doubt here. He hasn't seen Jesus yet. He hasn't met Jesus yet. All he knows about Jesus is the second-hand news that he's got from Philip, and so far the second-hand news that he's received from Philip doesn't sound anything like what he would expect the Messiah to be like. Think of it this way. Suppose someone came to you and told you, we've just met a young man, and this young man seems to have the answers to all of the world's problems. He has a way to solve the nuclear arms race. He, he has a way to end world hunger. He can bring peace to the Middle East. He's got the answers to the slumping economy. He's got the answer for global uh, warming. He's, um, he's a young guy. Doesn't seem to have a job. I think he's homeless. And he's from Plant City. Now, you know I'm not talking down to Plant City. That's my address. I live in Plant City. We love Plant City, don't we, Eric? Yes, we love Plant City. But wouldn't you kind of react in the same way, mm, someone with that much uh, ability and someone that substantial from a small town like Plant City? Wouldn't you kind of question that? Wouldn't you be a little bit skeptical? And I think Nathaniel's doubts are, are pretty reasonable. Now, we understand his skepticism. And the gospel never suggests that Jesus is going to be like anything that, that people expect Jesus to be like. Now, the gospel never kind of, the gospel does tell us that, that Jesus kind of surprised everybody. No one expected Jesus, the, the Messiah, to act like Jesus acted. No one expected the Christ to do the things that Jesus did, the way he taught, the way he lived. His example, his focus, the way he treated people, who he treated, certainly not his death, certainly not his resurrection. Nobody expected that from the Messiah. So I think Nathaniel's doubts are pretty reasonable. And I think maybe Philip decides, okay, you got a point here. Philip does a really smart thing, though. In fact, Philip's response to skeptical Nathaniel is genius. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say, you know, Nazareth isn't that bad a place, really. There's some pretty spiritual people there. He doesn't say that. He doesn't debate Nathaniel. Philip has one practical answer that, that I think is the best answer to give to a skeptic. Come and see. That was Philip's response to Nathaniel. Just come check it out for yourself. Again, he doesn't disagree. There's no argument. There's no dispute. Listen to what he has to say. Check him out. See for yourself. Philip says, I've experienced something being around this man. Just come and see if you experience the same thing. 
I'm convinced that the greatest argument we can make for Christianity is Jesus Christ. We try to come up with all these arguments and lead people to all these different places. Philip says, come see Jesus. Come experience Him. Listen to what He has to say. Understand where He wants to take you, what He wants to do with you, how He wants to use you. Come and see, then, then you decide. I'm telling you, the best advice you can give to someone who is very skeptical is the advice that Philip gives to Nathaniel. Come see for yourself. So Philip leads Nathaniel to Jesus, and it leads to a second conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. Jesus watches Nathaniel approach, and Jesus tells Nathaniel, uh, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. The first thing Jesus does is compliment Nathaniel. Now, for a Jew, the compliment that Jesus just gave him was the best compliment he could have received. What Jesus is saying is, you're the real deal. You are a true Jew to your core. There's nothing fake about you, Nathaniel. But Nathaniel's still skeptical. How do you know me? It's not going to take just a couple of compliments to, to win Nathaniel over. How do you know me? You don't know anything about me. And Jesus tells him, well, I actually know quite a bit about you. I, I know a lot of things about you. I, I saw you while you were under the fig tree. I saw you before Philip even approached you. Now, Nathaniel is fascinated. In fact, now Nathaniel is stunned. Then immediately that skepticism seems to melt away. And Nathaniel now says, You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. I believe. Now it takes a miracle, but I believe. Count me in. And you think, Well, that's pretty fast. You know, Nathaniel actually jumped on board pretty quickly. After a fairly small miracle, if there is such a thing, after Jesus, you know, just tells him, I saw you under the tree. Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God. I'm a believer. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus recognizes his faith. Okay, Nathaniel, you have a reason to believe. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a better reason. You will find a better reason to believe. It's a good thing that you believe that I am who I say I am. But Jesus knows there's more. There's something deeper. There's a reason that you believe right now, but it's not the best reason for believing. Verse 50, Jesus tells Nathaniel, you shall see greater things than that. Now what's happening to Nathaniel is what I would suggest happens to all of us. We do things for reasons that seem good at the time, only later on to say, you know, I've got a better reason than I had earlier. We do things that, for, that, that at the time, or this is a good reason to do it, but later on we look back and say, that wasn't the best reason, because the reason I have now is a lot better than the reason I started with. And I think that's what's going on with Nathaniel. And I think that's what goes on spiritually for us as well. You know, it does take some time, and it takes growth and maturity for finding that, that real reason for being a believer in Jesus. And Jesus understood this about Nathaniel. One day, he said, you're going to see greater things. I'm going to give you even better reasons than this. I'm going to give you the best reason for believing in, in me. 
Now, there's a lot of reasons to believe, but I think there's one best reason to believe in Jesus. Having said that, I suppose if we took 20 people who were believers and asked why you believe, we might get 20 different answers. But I think there's one best reason to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. When you get right down to it, I think we all share that same best reason. So this morning I want to take just a couple minutes and share with you what I think are some really good reasons to have faith in Jesus. But I want to share that one best reason for us believing in Jesus as the Son of God. You know, a lot of people believe because of their family. For a lot of us, we were raised in a God-fearing family. A lot of us are trying to raise our children in God-fearing families. I was raised in a God-fearing family. But I've often wondered to myself, what if I was born into a Muslim family? What if I was born into a Hindu family? What if I was born in China? or Afghanistan, or India. What would my life look like? But I wasn't. I was born in western Pennsylvania to a family that loved the Lord. The first things I learned were Bible things. My bedtime stories were Bible stories. The little songs that I grew up learning were Bible songs. I used to sing the song, How do I know the Bible tells me so? I could have just as easily sang, how do I know my dad and my mom tell me so? Because they were telling me the things that were in the Bible. Families are God's best missionaries. I keep telling parents that you are the best chance that your children have falling in love with Jesus. But it doesn't always work that way. Some children become unbelievers because of their families. Some people find it impossible to believe in a loving heavenly father because they've never had a loving earthly father. Now, some people come to faith in spite of their families, not because of their families. So our families might help in a great, in a great way, but the real reason for us coming to faith, it's got to be deeper than family. Well, some people might say, well, I have faith because of my church. Again, a lot of us grew up in a church that just wrapped its loving arms around us. Or maybe put the fear of God in us. I don't know what your church experience was. But a lot of people's faith is sort of contingent on, on their church and that experience. Now, if you've been here very long, you've heard me talk about the Lord's church and how precious the Lord's church is to me, founded by Jesus, purchased with his blood. We are his body. We have been tasked with taking the good news of Jesus to the world. We're the hands and the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the head. We're the body. You can't separate the head from the body. You can't say, give me Jesus, but you know, not so much on the church. It doesn't work that way. But again, I don't think that church is the real reason that people come to faith. Most of us will admit that we've seen instances where church has been kind of a stumbling block. Because it's made up of people like us. We're flawed. And we, we want to get it right, and we try to get it right, but we don't always get it right. I've had people tell me, I'm sure you have too, now I might be a believer if it wasn't for the church, because there's hypocrites in the church. That's true. Because there's gossips in the church. Yeah, that's true. But still, church is a great reason to believe in Jesus. 
But it can't be the main reason. There's got to be something besides that. How about this? Maybe it's because of the arguments. There's all these arguments that do such a great job of, of proving that God does exist. And all these arguments, that are, they're so persuasive that the earth was uh, spoken into existence by God. There was, there was divine design involved there. These arguments that Jesus was a real individual who actually walked on, on the earth, who actually was the Son of God, who was crucified on a cross, who, who did come back to life three days later. There's all these wonderful arguments, and they're important. But if I rest my faith on the arguments, is that, is that the main reason? Is that the real reason for my faith? You know, if I rest on my faith, on my, my ability to, to prove it, I'm always going to wonder if somebody's going to come along with a, a better argument against God than I have for God. That's why I don't have any problem telling people pretty often, there's things I can't explain. There's questions that I can't answer. Now, why is, why is this suffering happening? Why, why are these children suffering? I don't know. I can't answer that. My faith doesn't depend on me being able to, to outwit every atheist or to win every argument. Deuteronomy tells me the secret things belong to God. Isaiah tells me as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways and God's understanding above our ways and our understanding. The real reason for believing has got to come from another corner of my life. Well, maybe it's the Bible. Where would we be without the book? I love the book. I believe the book. I believe that every word in the book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The book tells us about Jesus. The book tells us about grace. The book tells us how to live, what to do. Our faith comes from the book. We learn from the book. In fact, I would suggest if we're not spending time in the book, our faith isn't the kind of faith that will last. The Bible is a solid reason for believing in Jesus. But I don't think it's the real reason. Now, before you start scrambling looking for my email address, hear me out on this. I don't believe in Jesus because I first believed in the Bible. I believe in the Bible because I first believed in Jesus. I don't study Jesus so I can better understand the Bible. I study the Bible so I can better understand Jesus. I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus. The Bible is not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yeah, I can't come to faith without God's Word. But there's got to be something deeper than that. Well, What's left? Right? I've mentioned some great faith builders and some great faith uh, essentials. But if it's not my family and if it's not church and if it's not the arguments and if it's not the book, well, what's left? What's the real reason for believing? Let's go back to the text. Back to John chapter 1, Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel. Verse 50. Jesus said, You believe because I told you you because I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Verse 51 is an interesting verse. Because nowhere in the New Testament do we have any indication that Nathaniel actually saw what Jesus is describing in verse 51. A lot of people think that Jesus is referring back to an account in Genesis chapter 28 when Jacob, in a vision, sees a ladder going up to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending on that ladder. And there's certainly some parallels here with Genesis 28. You remember that back in Genesis, uh, Jacob is on the run. He swindled the birthright from his brother, which was kind of a big deal. And Jacob is convinced the next time my brother sees me, he wants to kill me. So Jacob's kind of on the run from his brother, from the situation, sort of on the run from God as well. But he's going to find out that he doesn't have much of a chance of running from God because God's made up his mind to track Jacob down. Some of you might know what it's like to try to run from God. But there's a moment when God decides to track you down. And in this case, when Jacob is caught by God, Jacob is held, he's subdued by grace. And Jacob did not see that coming. He didn't expect that. What Jacob expected was, if God ever catches me, if God ever holds me accountable for what I've done, it's going to be wrath. And it's going to be anger. It's going to be punishment. It's going to be shame. It's not going to be love. It won't be forgiveness. It certainly won't be grace. And yet that's exactly what Jacob experiences. Jacob was actually running away you know, from the source of love, from the source of grace. But he couldn't escape because God was too persistent. Jacob thought that he was running from the enemy. Who he was actually running from was the source of the love and the source of the grace. And Jacob's dream showed this ladder with angels ascending and descending. Kind of this breaking this concept that God is somewhere up there distant and has no thought or concern about what's going on in the world. Jacob's dream shows that, that heaven came down, that God takes the initiative, reaches out to the people who are confused and hurting and lost. That God's not up there somewhere and never comes down here, doesn't pay attention. That the line between earth and heaven is, is open. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel. And Jesus tells Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things. And Jesus tells Nathaniel, I'm the latter. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus came to be that bridge between earth and heaven. Jesus came to be that bridge to, 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 from what people expected of God and in the true God. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I think that Jesus is, is telling Nathaniel the real reason for believing. I said there's lots of great reasons for believing, but one real reason. Here's what I think is the real reason for faith. It's an encounter with God who chases us and chases us, and keeps chasing us. And when He catches up with us, He catches us with love. Not with shame, 
not with anger. He catches us with His love and He holds us with His grace. I think Jesus is saying, when that happens to you, when you finally realize you didn't love God first, God loved you first. You didn't go looking for God, God went looking for you. When you finally realize the extent of God's love and how desperately God wants a relationship with you, when you experience that, when you experience that He's not going to respond with disgracing you, not going to condemn you. He's going to surround you with His loving arms. And when the world starts wailing away on you, He's going to hold you with His grace. And once you realize you've been found by that love, and you've been held by that grace, in the middle of all the garbage that the world seems to throw our way, I think you'll know why you believe. And I think you'll really know the real reason why you're here today. And why you profess Jesus as Lord. That's why I believe. Because I had a God who pursued me. Pursued me with love. Not judgment, not shame, not anger. He pursued me with love. And even when I tried to run away, He reached down and held me with His grace. When you have one of those moments, you can sense it, right? You know, have you ever had one of those moments? Have you ever sensed that God is trying to track you down? Maybe you're having one of those moments, you know, this week. Maybe you've been running from God for a long time and, and His love and His grace have just been kind of hounding you. And you sense it. And you begin to see the message that Jesus had for Nathaniel. The message that Jesus has for us. The real reason that we keep believing. Even in the middle of sadness and hurt, and disappointment, and brokenness, is that we have a God who reached down in love and took hold of us, and He would not let go. And when you experience that, there is nothing else to replace it. See, my reality is I don't believe because I was raised in a loving family. I don't believe because the church got to me soon enough. And I don't believe because I've been able to answer every question that's ever been asked of me or I finally memorized enough verses. I believe because of God's love and God's grace that a long time ago took hold of me. And even when I tried to run, even when I tried to push back, He would not let go. And that's why I believe. I'm not denying the importance or the power of any of those things that we've been talking about. I'm just saying that you'll never believe for a very long time if that's the things that you're basing your faith on. You'll only truly believe when you know He ran me down. He caught me. He surrounded me with love. And He held me with grace. And that's why I believe. Now maybe this morning God's chasing you. I know that God's trying to get your attention. He's always trying to get our attention. And He's trying to tell us how much He loves us. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. God's not going to give up on you. He's patient, but He's not going to give up on you. Or maybe you've been in a place where, okay, I've kind of been putting my faith in a lot of other things, but 
but it's the love and it's the grace and it's the rescue, it's the salvation. Jesus took me just like I was. He's not willing to leave me there. Where are you this morning? Are you running? Are you pushing back? Are you saying, God, I need your love and I thank you for your grace? As a church family, if we can help you in any way, Dave's got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. There'll be some people down here at the front of the auditorium that would love to meet you, talk to you, pray with you, whatever we can do. Meet us down front if we can help you in any way.